boys for life. Uh, <clears throat> kind of passive-aggressive characters that uh, can really do some diabolical stuff. And so, uh, yeah. Well, Happy New Year. Welcome to a Friday edition, a special edition of our coffee sessions. Usually it's on Sunday, but this week it's on Friday. Bulldogs win yesterday 28-26 over Tulsa. I'm Bart Gregory along with Charlie Winfield. So, Charlie, after uh, going through the night last night and getting uh, getting a, a little shut-eye in between the game and today, all right, what's your first initial 10,000-foot thoughts of yesterday's win over Tulsa in the Armed Forces Bowl? It's a real shame, isn't it, that after a win I have to wake up mad at the media. But true to form, I am waking up mad at the media. Why are you always mad at the media? Hey, we are the media. Are we not the media? I don't like lawyers either, and I'm one of those. So I am willing to call out my own associations, Bart. You know, look, can we just get it out of the way? Can we go ahead and address the thing that you know we have to talk about? Sure. That's that's how I wanted to come out of the gate. All right. So uh, you go first. Me go first? Yeah. Okay, my first initial thought is, first of all, yeah, it was not a good deal. We're talking about the fight, We're talking about the fight afterwards, and everybody's talking about the fight, even people that don't follow football that are, you know, that are followers of of different schools. A lot of other schools are more at at arms about this than than we are. But, But I understand there are some people who say, you know, this is disgusting. I can't believe my kids... Watched that yesterday. I can't believe Mississippi State allowed my kids to see something like this happen. And I understand, hey, it was not a good deal. It was not a good deal. Never is fighting a good thing and a good look for a program. But it's football. Things like that happen. It happens. And I go back to the point was you know, some of the issues that took place, were they good? No. Was you know social media after the game good? No. But at the end of the day, Charlie, I got to thinking about it last night, man. I've got a lot of fight stories. I mean, I played the game. <laughs> I've got a lot of I've got a lot of fight stories. And and yesterday, while it was it was tough in some certain spots, there was a lot of flailing. There was a towel being used. I've never seen a towel whip at all during a fight. I've never seen that. That was new. But I, I, I give him credit. Hey, he, he brought out the Gatorade towel. Hey, it, you know, I was there. Laid the I, foundation for future. I was on hand for the East Mississippi, Mississippi Delta fight. <laughs> that was the big deal. And, you know, so I was doing radio in that ball game. And I remember, so I'm sitting up there and I watched this fight take place. The longest throw of the entire day was a garbage can. Well, that's what way. I was about to say. I thought it was a garbage can involved in that thing. It was a some garbage more. can. We, they went up the towel. That thing flew 30 yards. But here's what's funny is, what's really not funny, is my brother at the time worked at Mississippi Delta, okay? And he he takes his daughter home, and they lived in Inverness, Inverness, However you say it, it's a little bit different than Delta. Everything's a little bit different than Delta, but it's a little bit different. So he takes his daughter home, and he gets a call as soon as he gets to the house, and he says, hey, dude, you need to come back up here. There's a fight that's broken out. And he says, I get in my truck, and I drive. And he says, man, it's seven minutes. It takes seven minutes to get from my house to campus, and that fight's still going on. He said, do you know how long a fight normally lasts? Yesterday's fight lasted two minutes, all right, two minutes max. That fight lasted seven minutes. That's a long fight. You know, I got a little bit worried because you never know what fans are going to do when a fight breaks out. You don't know if somebody's <laughs> going to try to get involved, what's going to happen. 
And I remember my first instinct thinking, oh, boy, this isn't good. And I looked in the stands, and every fan there had their camera up. They were videoing. I was like, oh, and I'm cool. now." But I, you did have Crowder to protect you. I, yeah. I did take off my East Mississippi shirt when I walked to the car. So I walked <laughs> to the car in a plain white T-shirt. But, no, that was a fight. What we had yesterday was a pushing match that didn't look good, and that's that's what it was. Hey, you think about fans. You talk about fans. And I put this on social media last night, just kind of personal. And I was trying to figure out the year. And I'm not trying to make light of the situation. But in 1988, Nanoya played Sebastopol, okay, at the end of the season. And, hey, let's be honest, Nanoya and Sebastopol, I mean, you can have some folks in there that, that like to maybe throw some bones every now and then, you know. They, they kind of relish that moment. So after the game's over with, they have this huge fight breakout, right? Not only was it players at midfield, fans from each side were meeting on the field and fighting. And here's the thing, Charlie. It's not like, you know, we're incorporated. We didn't have a police force, all right? You may have had one or two deputy sheriffs there. So that thing went on until, like, everybody was tired, okay? <laughs> so just stand back and let it just play itself out, And right? it played itself out. Some of the old men just got tired, you know? <laughs> Well, you know, so I go back and look at yesterday. I think let's agree on a couple of things. Number one, the fight shouldn't have happened. No, it was dumb. Um, number two, it's not a good look. If we could take it back, we absolutely would. Yes. Fair. Um, and then I think we agree on this, too. Once it happened, stay off social media. Oh, yeah. Don't go talk about it. Don't do those things. So I don't want anything I say to be taken as saying that it's acceptable, that it's okay, that, hey, this is what I like to see happening. I don't. Because I don't like having to wake up to read about it or go to bed reading about it. Hey, this is better than two guys fighting in the stands. Well, yeah, absolutely. But go ahead. But here's here's the thing, too, though. I, I think we've got to have a little bit of perspective here, right? I mean, these things happen. I mean, how we could sit here and do an entire podcast on fights we've watched, be it at the high school level, be it at the college level. Look, we only got to go back a few weeks, and there's a certain football coach in the state of Florida, who's out at midfield fighting with the officials and touches off a fight between players who provokes it. The guy and, started it and then came out of the locker room to kind of flare it up a little more. And then wore a Darth Vader costume to the post game. Oh, and that's all fun and games. But, you know, when Mike Leach does it or when a Mike Leach team does it, well, now we're going to be mad. But So let me say this. Number one, I think as a fan, we have to have some perspective. This isn't new. It's not a coach problem. It's not a bad guy problem. These things happen. Do you deal with them? Sure. But, you know, think about the game of football. What is it that – let's go back to the Iowa game that was in the – what was that, the Outback Bowl yeah. that I like to forget. I wish that team had shown up with a little bit of fight. You know, we always talk about, well, we showed up for the bowl game. We weren't ready to play. We weren't into it. You know, you want these guys to get pushed right up to a line. You want them excited. You want them engaged. It is really easy to sit around your living room or to sit around your computer screen like some of these Twitter warriors that have some type of column and to talk about how bad these guys are. You know what? Most of those guys haven't played football, and they don't understand that there is a very fine line between being amped up and ready to play and into it and crossing that line and going too far. Again, I don't condone it, but it's a lot easier to cast some of these harsh judgments if you've never actually done it. Well, here's the thing. One is, it's not like Mike Leach. We're talking about Mike Leach. 
we're not talking about, you know, guys that let their players do anything. I mean, I think I think it's pretty much set in stone, and I think, you know, the foundation has been laid that Mike Leach is a guy that makes his guys toe the line a little bit. I mean, it's not like he's scared to get rid of players. Yeah, and that's what got me. That's what really, when you talk about why I'm mad at the media, I'm looking at some of these guys on Twitter, and they're like, you know, Mike Leach runs a rogue program, and Mike Leach this and that, and Mike Leach is allowing these guys to do anything. You pick up our roster, go grab our depth chart from week one and pull it up now, and you know what you're going to notice? There's a lot of guys who just quietly aren't here anymore. And that's the thing I like about Mike Leach. He doesn't go out and announce to the world, hey, this guy's a problem, I'm getting rid of him. But there's been a whole lot of lockers cleaned out in the SEAL building over the course of this season. And Mississippi State's gotten better for it. But the idea that Mike Leach just condones things, puts up with things, doesn't take care of his program, it's a joke. And here's what's ironic about it. If you want to go back on Mike Leach's career, what's the biggest criticism he ever got? It was for being too hard on a player, at least allegedly with the whole, you know, Craig James kid. A lot uh, of that junk was made up. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, so on the one hand, we're going to say, well, he's too hard on players, and then we're going to say he doesn't have control of them. It's an absolute – that's just dumb. Well, and, and here's the thing, too, and this is I think this is what has people kind of up in arms a little bit more is because there were two teams involved in this deal. I mean, you look at how this game played out. It, a lot of people are, are going crazy about this deal that didn't even come close to watching the game and understanding just how far – Tulsa is trying to take you. They had a bunch of they had a bunch of older guys on that team that understand. Hey, I'm going to try to nudge this to the level and try to engage these guys, and that's what happened all day long. We saw it on a on Wally on a catch where a guy's trying to twist his ankle. We saw it on Austin Williams, you know, missing a catch across the middle and a guy coming up and kneeing him in the daggum side. I mean, it happened all day. We had a guy jump on. It should have been a targeting on a lineman early in the game. I mean, it just happens, okay? They they nudged you to the point, and then they couldn't take it. So here's the thing. Here's what Philip Montgomery said after the game. And a lot of people are, are on Mike Leach about, well, you know, it, it shouldn't have happened. Well, you know what? It just happened. He, there's no way for him to know what had just happened. Here's what Philip Montgomery had to say. And by the way, a lot of people having to go look up who Philip Montgomery is who are writing these articles because nobody's ever heard of Tulsa's head coach, and that's why he's not taken. And that's why Mike Leach is taking the heat is because you've got a high-profile head coach. Here's what Philip Montgomery had to say. I'm not going to comment a whole lot about it. The one thing I'll say, our program, our guys, is we're going to stand up for each other. We're going to go to battle. You know what? If Mike Leach says that right there, it is blasted everywhere. Oh, my goodness. Mike Leach condones fighting. And here's the thing, too. I was reading one of these guys who used to cover Mississippi State, who thankfully no longer does. And he's saying basically that Mike Leach's postgame comments were inadequate. You know, basically, we deserve better. You know what? What do you think you deserve? He said they were dumb. He said it was a dumb fight. He said the same thing we just said a minute ago. I mean, what do you want the guy to do? And so, I, you know what I love about Mike Leach, though? I woke up this morning more upset about what the media is saying than he is. If there is ever a guy who just doesn't care what outsiders think, Mike Leach could have improved his reputation this season. If he had come into press conferences on Monday and said, I just got rid of this guy, this guy, and this guy because they were detrimental to the team and they were doing things that broke rules. We did all these things. He didn't do it. It doesn't mean he isn't going to handle it. 
he isn't going to necessarily go to the media. And I don't know where we've gotten where these guys all think they deserve some better explanation immediately after the game with a guy who just told you he didn't see it. Again, don't like the fight. I'm not for it. But how far do we have to go in being upset about it? I hate to be the arrogant SEC guy. Right. I hate to be the arrogant SEC guy and, and seeing how a team with little man syndrome yesterday nudged you to the point. But I don't care what Tulsa thinks. <laughs> I, I don't I don't care. I'm still mad about that NIT game. What was that, 2001 or something? Derek Zimmerman, man. That ball was, I mean, that was as close. You know, we took a shot. Was it an overtime? He hit the shot, but they said it was still in his hand. Daggummit. Hey, and I haven't told you this story before. I don't think I've ever told you this. I was telling my, my wife this story last night, and she just tells me that I'm a redneck, which she loves to do all the time. As we were playing in a spring jamboree, this is in the spring of 1994, and Joe Gannett Ware says, "Okay, we're going to put legendary, the legendary Joe, Joe Gannett. Gannett. We're going to put about six or eight teams together. We're going to have a spring jamboree. This is before spring jamborees were cool. You know, we were kind of inventing things then. And he says, "Listen, do not wear you know your game jerseys. This is not going to be a big deal. We'll just show up in your practice attire." So we show up, and of course, Nanawoya, we're in maroon and gray, okay? That's that's who we are, right? We show up in the maroon mesh tops. This is back before the good old days where you had the numbers actually on the practice <laughs> jerseys. We didn't have the numbers on the practice jerseys. So we show up, and we're wearing maroon tops, maroon helmets, gray face masks, gray pants, all right? One of the teams we are scheduled to play is Thomastown. Thomastown shows up in maroon tops, no numbers, <laughs> maroon helmets, Gray pants, the only difference, they have a white face mask. We have a gray face mask, all right? So there's a tackle during the thing, and this fight breaks out, all right? I don't know why I'm playing free safety at the time, but anyway, it's out there. And so the fight happens, and things happen during the fight, whatever. Michael Ted Evans, who is, is now in the state legislature, is being drugged upon the field by two guys by his face mask as he's screaming, Let's get it on, boys. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 absolutely hilarious. And so Joe Gant said that the Ware players were sitting in the stands, and they start jumping over the fence, and he stops them and he says, hey, where are you going and who are you going to fight when you get there? So anyway, long story short, we get to watching the film of this thing. And so we're watching the film, and there's two guys at the 30-yard line, and I'm talking about throwing blows. And here's the thing about a football fight. Everybody's wearing a helmet. You're, you're, you're smart enough to put your helmet on, so it's not like anything is, like, registering at all. And there's these two guys going at it, man. I'm talking about swinging. And then they realize they're both from Thomastown. <laughs> And then all of a sudden they just break up. And so, I mean, it's, it happens. I mean, I've, you talk about these fight stories, the East Central, East Mississippi fight in 1995. Oh, that's the one that had the cop car. Like parked at midfield when it was over. Man, they had guys going in ambulances. It was unreal. I mean, unreal. And in those days, here, here you go. In, in junior college football in the 1980s and 90s, when a fight broke out, we talk about putting your helmet on. Is like right now, and you saw this yesterday about several guys putting their helmets on when the when the fight began. That is because in the 1980s and 90s, the way you don't go about a fight is you take your helmet off and you start swinging your helmet. Okay, 
that's what we grew up with is guys taking their helmet off and swinging their helmet. And you realize that's how you really get hurt. So now in today's world, you put your helmet on. Look, we had some state old Miss fights over the years too. Oh, my and goodness. There was a few of those when the helmets came off and started being used. I mean, isn't that really how the whole Egg Bowl, the battle for the Golden Egg, the whole thing started? Hey, Rockies last year, man, right in the middle of the last time we played in Jackson. Last time we played in Jackson, then in 1997, was it Deuce McAllister that popped, you know, shivers? Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. You uh, know, so that's probably enough on it. But I just I, – th- I think my over, overriding thing is this. I'm not happy about it. I wish it didn't happen. I hate that I had to read about it. But I wish that some of these self-righteous riders would just get over themselves a little bit. Keyboard. The whole, we deserve better. Yeah. You Key- don't deserve anything. Keyboard heroes. All right. Hey, let's talk about football. Let's talk about the game yesterday. And at the end of the day, you know, looking back at it. Boring. The the game was kind of boring. It was boring. Let's just be honest. It it was. But how much of that had to do with how the game was played and the conditions it was played in? You know, Will Rogers said after the game is, hey, man, that was three hours of toughness. I mean, you just had to slog through it. I mean, that that was a tough, tough you know, experience of having to play in a driving rain all day. I mean, how much of that game was about that? Yeah, what was the official game time yesterday? 11 o'clock. No, I'm sorry. What was the official? Let's see. It was three hours and 34 minutes. So not terribly long by the clock standards, but, man, that game felt like it lasted forever. Yeah, it it did. And it just kind of drug it. And I wonder how much of that was. It seemed like there were more commercials. To me, it did. And two, I thought the officiating crew. We we haven't talked about this. Oh, we man. have we haven't talked about this with the fight. I thought the officiating crew yesterday from the Big Ten was garbage. I mean, I thought it was complete. Gar- they they allowed a lot of that stuff to continue and to go on, and I th- I don't think they knew half of what was going on. Period. Yesterday, and so between them trying to figure out what penalties to assess that we knew nothing about. Yeah, it was it was just one of those games to just drug on. Really frustrating from a TV perspective too when you have to watch a broadcast when the people aren't there. Because first of all, the guy on the sidelines, I don't know what his job was, but it wasn't providing information. No. Because the only thing I would get out of him now and then was a few questions. I don't need questions from my sideline reporter. I need some answers. Well, and here's the deal, too. Hey, he's a Texan. He's used to this weather. He's used to this weather. He's in Texas. He's in. Te- he's not used to driving sleet. I mean, you get it like, hey, it's like, hey, let's go to Bart. He's in Mississippi during a driving sleet storm. He's used to this Mississippi weather. No, I'm not. It happens once or twice a year. That's right. I don't live. I don't live in Colorado. He lives in Dallas, freaking Texas. It's not exactly the the winter capital of the world. No, well, it's winter in Dallas. No, it, I didn't think I didn't got nothing out of him. We had two announcers who didn't seem to have any idea what was going on. And at one level, I don't blame them. My concern, though, is that people are going to get okay, and by people I mean ESPN, that they're going to decide they'd rather have Roy Philpott or uh, Paul, what's the guy that's out in California, former Olympian. Nice guy, Sunderland. Yeah, Paul Sunderland, that they'd rather have those guys sitting in their basement or around their dining room table calling games off video monitors than actually being there. The product isn't the same, but I'm afraid they're going to decide it's good enough for the cost savings. Well, and here's the thing. We we went yesterday two or three minutes without even knowing there was a flag on Mississippi State on the interception return. 
And that's another story for another day because I go back to the point, if I'm a head coach in basketball and one of my assistant coaches or anybody else gets a technical foul, I'm going absolutely crazy. Same way in football too. Yeah, but I, I didn't enjoy the broadcast. I did feel like there were too many commercials. And this is something that you talk about too. Yeah, particularly in basketball, I've heard you talk about, you know, sometimes there are games that just don't have any flow to them. That game didn't have much flow. It didn't. You know, you come out to start the game. We drive down. Well, we, I say drive. We went three plays. Tulu. And scored, right? Come out of the dressing room, second half. You know, first time you get the, you get the three and out, I think, get the ball back, you go score. And so it was like, wow, our offense is pretty good. Hey, we talked about Philip Montgomery a while ago. Here's what we did, did, we did realize yesterday. He doesn't have the ability to not kick it to Tulu. Oh, my goodness. Man, there's a guy that, what are you thinking? <laughs> after the first time, after the first time you realize that this guy is pretty pretty salty, and hey, hey, give all credit to Tulu, to Griffin, freshman from Philadelphia. But we blocked those things extremely well yesterday. Oh, we did. It was kind of interesting watching him get behind blockers, almost like the old tailback falling a fullback through a hole. You know, it makes me think, though, think about Philip Montgomery. I was coaching peewee basketball, and I used to call the three-point line the line of death. Yes. Because in sixth grade, if you take a shot from behind that line, you're going to die. And the deal was, oh, that was the thing, my team. You know, what's the penalty? Death. What kind? Slow and painful. You know, that was the thing. And Lord help somebody make one. Well, and so the other rule that I had was, not only are we going to take one, we're not going to defend out past that line. Yeah. We're, if they want to stand out there and shoot three-pointers, what we're going to do is rebound. So we're playing in the game down in Louisville. Kid comes down the floor. Kind of like Georgian basketball the other night, but I digress. Go <laughs> yes. Ahead. Kid comes down the floor, looks at us, drains the three. Guys, no problem. This is part of the game plan. Don't worry about it. Next trip down the floor, he just kind of looks at us, drains a three. Guys, we're okay here. Don't worry. Next trip down the floor, drains another three. Timeout. Yeah. All that stuff about the game plan, forget it. We got to reassess. <laughs> yeah. I'm throwing it out the window. Now, Coaching sixth grade basketball, it took me three trips down the floor. This is an NCAA football coach. At what point in the five returns averaging 35 yards do you say, hey, let's get a different plan? Let's kick it on the ground. Kick it out of bounds for all I care. But well, he did the last him. He finally did the last time. It was almost oh, like, barely. okay, well, that gum, y'all talked me into it. We, we, <laughs> <laughs> that thing it was about one rotation. Javante <laughs> Payton likes to live on the edge. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So we come out, we score that first touchdown. We score the first drive of the third quarter. So that tells you we had good game plans early on. One is we were going to run the football. We were going to kind of take them by surprise. That was one of the first you know, first half. The second half, we did a really good job putting together a good drive after a three and out from Tulsa. You know, it was a one-point game. We get the ball, go down, and expand the lead. I thought that was a really big possession in the game. And it goes back to the whole point of it seemed like yesterday – Every time Tulsa made a play, we had an answer. Yeah, well, you know, with the whole idea that I was complaining about earlier, this idea that Mike Leach doesn't control his program, here's another thing about Mike Leach we can talk about is the idea that he won't adjust. Maybe it takes rain and 27 degrees, I don't know, but here's what we had yesterday. 30 rushing attempts, 30 passing attempts. Wow. Ever think you'd see that? No. We won the football game yesterday, I thought, because of three things. Tulu, yes. Our defense causing turnovers, particularly, and then our ability to run the football. I thought Marks ultimately was the as much as anybody the difference in that football game yesterday. And how many times coming into the season did we think we would say, 
hey, we won the football game because we ran it well. I tell you what, I look at our defense yesterday. I look at a guy like London Kraft. You know, we haven't talked about some of these guys a lot. And what did we say the first game of the season? We we got, you know, the two deep the first game of the season, and everybody in the media looked at each other and says, who in the world is London Kraft, okay? And in your last football game of the season, this guy leads the team in tackles. He had nine tackles and seven solos. Broke one, up a pass. One pass breakup. Of course, you know what you're going to get out of Errol Thompson. Man, I'll tell you what. Did I like Errol standing over the guy after he just depleted him? Probably not. But at the end of the day, let me tell you something. That guy in his career at Mississippi State, he's a gamer. I mean, he is a gamer, and he is a guy that I want on my side. If I'm picking teams, if I'm picking defensive players that I want on my team, I start with Errol Thompson. Man, you got a guy right there who is a blue-collar guy who has done everything you've asked him to do over a four- or five-year period. He's solid. Nine tackles yesterday, five solos, had a sack and one-and-a-half tackles for loss. He also had a pass breakup as well. So, I mean, those are guys. Aaron Brule had eight tackles. And you know what? Aaron Brule, we sit here now, at least I do, and I talk about Aaron Brule being one of our key defensive players we didn't know what he was going to do when the season started. No. That's another guy that, you know, now you sit here and say, that's an NFL player, and I really believe he is. But we didn't know that. Ever been to the Hornet's Nest? Ever been to Lake Mississippi? Ever played football at Lake? I don't think that I have. I played football at Lake. One of my high school teammates, Tate Hanna, is the head football coach at Lake High School. They had a guy by the name of Jay Jemison down there a few years ago at Lake High School in Mississippi. Two who knew he was on our roster? Jay Jemison yesterday had four tackles, one solo, and he had a huge pass breakup in the end zone. So I go back, you know, Emmanuel Forbes, yeah, he had the pick six, had three tackles. But a guy like Colin Duncan, I mean, when Peters went down five games deep in the season, we were wondering what we were going to do at safety. And then Colin Duncan jumps in there. And just because these guys, and and Zach Arnett said this last week, he said just because these guys are not household names doesn't mean they're not good football players. And they're, hey, let me tell you something. Colin Duncan is a pretty good football player. Martin Emerson, good football player. Aaron Brule, he's a good football player. London Crabb, he's a pretty good football player. Yeah, I'll tell you a guy I don't think we give enough credit to also is Aaron Odom. Yeah. You know, I thought he has done a nice job for us on the defensive line. And that's one of the hardest places to evaluate because a lot of times I go back to Errol Thompson's sophomore year. One of the reasons that he was so good is because Jeffrey Simmons occupied blockers. Yeah. Because Montez Sweat took a blocker and a half on every play, and it lets you move around. Sometimes one of the biggest contributions a defensive tackle, a nose guard, those guys can make is this. Don't get moved. Set the line right there. Don't get pushed backwards and give take up blockers. Give your linebackers room to run. I thought Odom, you know, he had two tackles for loss yesterday. You know, it's interesting. I think one of the things when you look at this season, I go back and I think – all these guys are going to be back next year. And I look at, when I say be back, these young guys. And Bart, what's the thing we know about Will Rogers and Jaden Wally and Tulu? They're going to be freshmen next year. Next year. They're going to be freshmen next year. And so you start to look at it, and in many ways you can say this was all one big dress rehearsal. This was one big practice session, and these guys got better. And the thing about it, too, is you can sit here and – we focus on those guys. We focus on Jaden Wally. We focus on Tulu and Will and Charles Cross to some extent. But you know what? There were a whole lot of worker bees who got better too. 
you know, not everybody can be the star, but the ability to win is premised in large part upon the ability to have guys who you don't know about who just go out there and make some plays. By the way, here's a guy. Yesterday, one of the biggest plays we had early in that ball game defensively, Sherman Thames. Yes. Did you expect anything out of Sherman Thames coming into the season? And that season? was a massive play at sack on third down. Sack on third down. And, it, and they go from a possible situation of you know possibly you know going for it on fourth down. We probably don't. But, I mean, it's third down and go from like the six-yard line. And that was a huge sack. And so all of a sudden, instead of them taking a lead, they're kicking field goals. Yeah, there's just some value to getting better all up and down your roster. And I think one of the benefits of this season is we had a lot of young guys and we had to play them. And I think we are going to be better. And I think particularly on that defensive side of the football, what Zach Arnett has done has to give you a lot of confidence. If you can keep him around, you got to feel good about where you're headed on that side. So looking back at the season, you know, you finish with four wins. And at 10,000 feet, this is not what you wanted. And we talked about this a little bit yesterday on the post game show. You know, you started the season. I think, I think so much of you know the volatility of the season is based upon how good you thought everything was after the first game. And then you know, we talked to to Luke Falk a few weeks ago on, on this show, and talking about what it's going to take. And he said, "Guys, let me tell you, it's not going to be easy early. It's not going to be easy early. You're going to get knocked back a little bit, but when it all clicks, when this offense clicks, it's going to be pretty good." Now. Has Was it great yesterday? No, it wasn't great yesterday. But, I mean, you're playing in a driving rainstorm in Dallas, Texas, and 27-degree windshield. But it got better against Missouri. I think this offense, having a spring practice, getting some more guys in here, I think it's just going to get better. And so, at the end of the day, I just feel a lot better right now than I did two months ago, <laughs> a lot better. And so we progressed a good bit in the last six to eight weeks. And we had a lot of ability not to do so. We had a lot of ability to pack this thing in, which is where, uh, candidly, a lot of us were mentally, right? If you go back two months ago before that Georgia game, I was like, this is a nightmare. This is a disaster. Things are going to fall apart. But you know what? You had a really good mix. You had some old guys. Kobe Jones, we haven't talked about him. Errol Thompson, you had some guys who just became the leaders you needed them to be. And then you had some young guys who elevated their games. And when this season could have become a 2-10, it didn't. We played better at Georgia. We played better in Oxford. Then you get that win against Missouri, and you get the win yesterday. I think you got to give a lot of credit to that mix of old and young and the way that they held things together when they had a lot of excuses they could have hidden behind. They could have hidden behind the depleted roster. They could have hidden behind COVID cases. They didn't do it. They kept showing up. They kept playing. They kept working at it. And I think you're seeing the benefit of stacking repetition on top of repetition. I think that was the key for this offense, and I think you're now starting to see why it can be better. Cameron Jones, your starting right tackle. Who would have thought that? Charles Cross, left tackle. Here's the thing. Those guys got valuable reps. But when you start looking at the roster, when you start looking at the roster two years from now, they didn't count. They didn't count. This year didn't count. This year, as far as, you know, your eligibility, didn't count. This was this was a redshirt year for every single player out on the field. When Will Rogers comes back next year, 
when Jaden Wiley comes back next year, when Tulu comes back next year, when Cameron Jones comes back next year, when Jaquavius Marks comes back next year, those guys are freshmen. Yeah, then, too, you're going to get Peters back. You're going to get C.J. Morgan back. I mean, you're going to get – who knows from this older group there's a lot of time between now and the draft, but a lot of those guys could be right back here too. Absolutely. Hey, man, I enjoyed it. Good show. I enjoy. I enjoy. Whoa, 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 whoa. We can't. We can't go without mentioning one thing because yesterday, and you tweeted this. Yesterday was the 20th anniversary. Yeah, the, of the snowball. snowball game. I, I tweeted this morning and saying, "Hey, I know what I was doing 20 years ago at this exact time, and that was going between Ruston, Louisiana, and Monroe, white knuckled, baby." And, I mean, there was a lot of you folks out there that were in the middle of the median throwing snowballs because your car was stuck. All right. I mean, so and, and I didn't stop, and I'm sorry, because if I had stopped, I'd slid off the road. Yeah, I was going the other way. I was driving back to Dallas where I was living at the time. But So there's a couple of parallels, right? We were playing in Texas. Yes. It was cold. Oh, Tucker Day. I know where you're going with this. <laughs> Tucker Day. You know, Tucker tried to you know drive that sand wedge in the ground before he punted the ball yesterday. And – you always have things that happen that you've never seen before, and and Tucker's probably never seen that before either. If he has, he's seen he's seen some, one more thing than I have in football, and and I'm sure he's going to get ribbed about it forever. But it took me back to 20 years ago, and he's a good guy. He's a good guy, and so I'm not making light of the situation, but I am. John Michael Marlin set up to kick off. In the snowball, and it, hey, it was snow everywhere. It was five inches deep, and he essentially missed the ball. He he essentially missed the the kickoff, and of course, a lot of you remember that. And <laughs> so, if there was anybody yesterday, twenty years to the day that it happened, if there was anybody who was sitting at home yesterday, well, Tucker Day, he's probably going. You know, John Michael Marlin was probably going. Man, thank you, thank <laughs> thank you for taking the heat off me. It's been uh, twenty years is long enough, man. It's uh, it's easier to laugh about it now, right? After a win, you know, if you lose that game yesterday, you may it may not be so funny, but it it actually worked out. So all in all, look, good way to end the season for the most part. Absolutely. So we didn't have an out of left field show this week because yesterday was the turn of the new year and we have women's basketball going on. We're going to come back next week and kind of try to put the bow on everything and have some interviews on another out of left field show. We got baseball coming up, you know, right around the corner. We still don't know what we're going to do. Hopefully this month we're going to find out about the baseball schedule. So we'll uh, we'll kick off a, a spring baseball show. That's kind of you know in our wheelhouse. We love that show, uh, that that show. Do you like the idea, by the way, of the four game SEC weekends? With our pitching staff, yes. I think it helps us absolutely. Because what's the big concern we have about getting enough innings for the guys that we have? And beyond getting them enough innings, give them enough innings that matter. Yeah. Enough leverage situations. I think we would be set up better than most for that that approach. And, you know, last week it was brought up, and I think Paul Maneri was talking about this in an interview, which I don't know how happy the commissioner should be. That <laughs> A little out in front of the band on that, that one, That one he? of your coaches is out there talking about, you know, what, what the possibilities are, and everybody latches on to it. And one of the possibilities is having a four-game SEC week, weekend in baseball. So then the question becomes, do you play it Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday? Do you play Friday, 
doubleheader Saturday and then one on Sunday. If the doubleheader happens, is it two sevens on a Saturday? Kind of makes you feel like the good old days. Oh, man. Man, how awesome would that be? You talk about a Saturday event. Some of these young guys, some of these, if, if you're in your 30s, if you're in your 30s, you will understand what it was like for us growing up as kids to know that when you came on a Saturday at Duty Noble Field, you were going to be there for a while, and it was an event. It, it was, was awesome. Yeah. It was double headers on Saturday in the SEC. Nothing like it. So, you know, Jim Ellis disagreed with me. I thought that was the greatest thing ever, the old the two sevens. And back in the days, we all talk about Brantley and Morgan. Well, you had seven innings for Brantley. You had seven innings for Morgan. Yeah. And then come Sunday, you had everybody. Well, here's the here's the reason Jim probably doesn't like it, and one of the reasons it's tough for broadcasters, because there's nothing harder for a broadcaster than a doubleheader, because you're getting lineups, you're getting a new lineup for that second game, and you usually get them about you know five or ten minutes before first pitch of the second game, or two or three when John Cohen was coaching. And so you may get – It was I, like that thing was under embargo. You know? well, well, and two, well, and, you know, Pat McMahon sent four to the press box one day and says, okay, here are four lineups, and I'm going to tell you which one, A, B, C, or D. In, in a little are bit. you serious? He sure did. And I love Pat, but I'm like, goodness, man, i got to write That is a Pat McMahon move I've if got I've ever heard one. And so you're still writing your lineup down in your card as you're broadcasting in the first inning, which is not easy. And it's, hey, but at the end of the day – the product is phenomenal. You know, I did a back-to-back nine-inning doubleheader. I think you did it on TV. I was doing radio that day solo. Mm. Nine innings with 30 minutes in between. I was on the air for nine hours. And I can I was so tired of talking. Jim, I know people were tired of listening. Jim and I, a few years ago, and it was those three years I did baseball with Jim, which were, which were great. It was, it was fun. But I was doing men's basketball with Jim as well. We did a men's basketball game one day, all right? We played like 11 o'clock in the morning. And then we had like a 2 or a 3 o'clock doubleheader on a Saturday. So we did three oh. games. We did a basketball game, and then we did a 18-inning doubleheader in baseball. And I'll never forget that. Man, I went home. And from a mental standpoint, you know how it is broadcasting. I mean, from a mental standpoint, I know we're not running a marathon right here, okay? But from a mental standpoint, you kind of got to know what you're doing for the, you know, for a duration of nine hours. And hey, it's it's mentally taxing. I didn't want to talk to anybody for like three days. And you sure didn't want to read Twitter. No, <laughs> hear how bad you are. No, <laughs> or or the pack. That's why we brought in Augusta Nelly. So maybe mo- most of you guys will start saying good things about us. <laughs> That's right. So anyway, hey, we enjoyed it. Our, our Friday special coffee. You guys have a a great 2021. The new year is here, and uh, it is what you make it. So, uh, anyway, have a good attitude. Stop being negative. That's Stop being negative to the media and you people on Twitter, uh-huh. you people on the on, – on, Why are you looking at me when you say that? Stop being negative. Stop being negative. This is going to be a good year. All right, guys, appreciate you all. If you, if you need us in any way, tweet us at Bart Gregory, at Charlie Winfield. Uh, at Barton Charlie for the Out of Left Field Show. And no, we are not uh, the the guys, uh, the couple that have the Daggum Facebook account. And here, Who Charlie, I don't know. <laughs> Somebody but, called us out on our <laughs> Barton Charlie Twitter handle. I know. But let me tell you this, too. Before you go, and this is free information, if if you share a Facebook account with your spouse, stop. Please, please do not, do not share a Twitter account or a Facebook account with your spouse. Y'all, y'all break that up, all right? Because the rest of the world, we're laughing at you. 
All right. Hey, thanks to our sponsors, Farm Bureau. Go with a home team. You can't beat Farm Bureau. You can't beat the service. They've got agents in every county in the state of Mississippi. So go with the best service of any insurance carrier in the state of Mississippi, and that's at Farm Bureau. Country Pleasing Sausage. I had some right after I woke up this morning. Henry Cooper and the game down at Country Meat Packers in Florence. They put out the best product and something that you can be proud of as a Mississippian because it is the best in the absolute world. And if you're looking for a car, Cannon Ford of Startwell, Chris Keene, huge Mississippi State guy. Chris has been good to me my entire life. Chris has been good to everybody he's ever dealt with. You know why? Because Chris is a good guy, and those people are hard to find in the car business. And Chris Keene and the gang at Cannon Ford of Startwell, if you're in the market for a new or used car, go check them out. Check them out online at Cannon Ford of Startwell. So for Charlie Winfield, I'm Bart Gregory. Appreciate you hanging out with us. You've been listening to a special Friday edition of our coffee.